Hi everyone and welcome back to our third EY Millennials podcast. We've had a little break. Um, Myself and Laura have been a little bit forgetful but we're back and we're excited. Today we are going to be talking about what it means to be a reflective practitioner, a reflective manager and how that looks in practice. So I'm going to hand you over to Laura. Hi everyone. Um, Okay, so yeah, let's just get straight in. So we decided to pick this topic because I think that people don't, I think people struggle with the term reflective practitioner, even though it's such a simple term. um, I think that we see it as sort of like a separate entity to everything that we do in our day-to-day practice. And we strive to be a reflective practitioner, but we don't often see how we are reflective anyway, day to day. Yeah. So um, basically, I think that like in the early years, sometimes if something isn't written down or it isn't filed away in a folder in the office, then we feel like we're not doing it. Um, And it's a bit like the example that I have is like with next steps. Next steps happen naturally. And I feel that reflecting happens naturally as well. And we've obviously with the movement of in the moment planning and things like that, we've become to realise that next steps, you don't need to write down 101 next steps for them to be happening. So I feel like sometimes we don't realise this with reflection, that we don't need to have some sort of reflective journal to be reflective. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think because in early years, especially within our roles as well, we are reflecting constantly, like minute to minute, hour to hour, everything we do, we're reflected on. And you don't always, well, you can't physically write everything down that you reflect on. It's just a natural process that happens throughout the day, I think. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, um, we're trying to move away in the earliest from this paperwork mindset mm-hmm. of everything being paperwork. Um, but you know, every time we change our continuous provision, every time we observe a child, every time we complete tracking, it's all about reflecting on our understanding. And it's all about us understanding that that is a reflective activity. So the example that I thought about when we decided we were going to discuss this is that when we do our tracking, a lot of the girls I work with will sort of hand me their tracking and say, there you go, I've done my tracking. And I always say to them, well, what are you going to do next with your tracking? What have you found out? And they'll be like, oh, you just told me to do my tracking. So I have. <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, the tracking is there to see gaps. It's to see where the children are making progress or where they aren't making progress. Um, and then it's using that information to influence your practice. So I do think that people often undervalue certain areas where they could really use their reflective tools, for example. Yeah, I I think reflection plays a massive part in everything we do. And like you say, I think think people not undervalue the word sometimes, but they're almost a little bit put off by the word because it's, it's a bit scary, isn't it? Like reflecting and looking at your what's going well and what's not going well I think sometimes that can be quite a intimidating thing for some people you know what I mean yeah definitely and I don't mean undervalue the importance of reflecting I mean like undervalue the areas where you can do that reflection so 
for example, I feel like we track every term. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that we have always done and I find it really, really useful. And I think that sometimes, often, people see tracking as an assessment tool. And as we're moving forward, and as I said earlier, we're moving in this direction of play and um, in the moment planning and just in the moment overall, um, people you know see tracking as a, as a negative thing but actually what I want to do is like turn that over so that it's actually a positive thing for me as a practitioner so something that I introduced off the back of seeing someone else do it is key person tracking development plans in our setting so when um I ask the girls to do their tracking they have to fill in um this development plan key person development plan and I know it sounds like more paperwork but it is literally one A4 document and it's just a way for them to reflect on their tracking because they perhaps don't have the skills to do that without using the form does that make sense yeah oh I like that I've not heard of that being done before but I like the sound of that sounds quite useful yeah, it's really good because um, basically the manager at the other nursery that we took over, she uses these and I was like, that is such a good idea. And it's a really simple, um, it's a really simple document. It's not anything that would be time consuming. Mm. It just, it just basically asks you to say where your weaknesses are in your tracking mm-hmm. and not even so much the weaknesses as in looking at the children. Um, For example, so... I always say, for example, all the time. Basically, <laughs> when I did my key person tracking, I noticed that there were gaps in all of my key children when it came to um, people and communities. Yeah. And that isn't because the children don't want to access people and communities or learn about people and communities. That showed me that I don't put enough emphasis on it because I'm a very in-the-moment practitioner. My uh, my pedagogy is based around play. Yeah. Um, therefore, I set my continuous provision up to basically do the teaching for me, in a sense. Yeah. So I hadn't put enough emphasis on making sure there was enough um, resources available to explore people and communities. So I wasn't ever picking up observations around people and communities. So I suppose that links in, doesn't it, as well, to being reflective of your environment and what you've got out in order to, yeah. to, you know, to sort of meet all areas of the EYFS. Because I've got um, I've got an audit tool I use, which I really love a good audit. I'm quite sad. But um, I've got quite a good one for our environment, and I always do that. I was going to do it because I've just moved jobs. And I find that it really helps us pick up on areas that we need to sort of reflect on, you know, where we might be lacking in certain resources or whatever. And I find that helps us as a team be really reflective which then will link back into sort of our planning and you know our next steps and stuff yeah exactly and I think that as well you know what we've done is we've started off by talking about how we reflect all the time without having paperwork and now we're talking about the paperwork that we use (laughs) but I think within reason it, it if it's helpful again again I was reflecting when I've introduced this paperwork Mm. that is not because I need to prove that we're reflecting it's because we weren't reflecting and we needed a tool to use to help us to reflect so I think paperwork does have its place in reflection if it's needed obviously if all of the girls that I work with work with had the experience and skills to reflect without having to do that 
then I wouldn't introduce this piece of paper just for the sake of having something on paper. But I think that definitely when it's needed, it should be used. And it might be that you ask some members of the team to do this and not others. Um, but again, that's you reflecting as a manager on what you think your team needs. And it's going to vary, isn't it, from setting to setting? Whereas, you know, some of us might have not, might not have any paperwork for being reflective because we don't need it. And then, like you say, other settings are going to have slightly more. It just it all depends on sort of your team and your setting and stuff, doesn't it, as to what you do and how you're reflective, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that sometimes um, we need to set boundaries on this reflection as well because I often find myself, I can go, go into a real hole of reflecting. So if I observe a child and they do something and then I can just get going... I could just keep going and going and going and reflecting on what I could do for that child. Um, so I've tried to sort of par back my reflections mm-hmm. a little bit. I find that I found that with starting a new job, not so much in terms of the children because I haven't got to know them as well yet, but in terms of everything else, you know, everything else to do with managing and leading a team and everything, I, I can find myself just just constantly reflecting and thinking about what we could do how we could do this what we could do next and I sometimes I like you say I really have to sort of stop myself otherwise it could just go on for days yeah and then what ends up happening is it's just it drains all of your energy to the point that you're reflecting and not actually putting much action in place no you're just exhausting yourself (laughs) yeah so I think that like I think that we need to reflect and that it's important to reflect and we need to see where reflection is happening. So every time you observe a child and you scaffold that learning, that is reflection within within yourself. You are reflecting on what you're observing and putting action into place. Mm. And I so I don't you... think... No, carry on. So I don't think that we need to have to write all our reflections down to know that we've been reflecting. No definitely not and I think that's sort of something we would do with our teams isn't it you know sort of sort of not explain but you know sort of guide and lead on on that so that they're not feeling the extra pressure you know to feel like they have to do more yeah exactly and you know going back to thinking about those reflective tools Mm -hmm. um I think it's really important to ensure that practitioners within your setting understand what those reflective tools are that are available to them. So, for example, we use a an online learning journal mm-hmm. and we write up the observation and then it has a box where we can type in a next step. And some of the girls would really sort of struggle with that or put in one of the statements from Development Matters, which, you know, just makes me hurt inside. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, you, instead of thinking of that as the child's next step, think of that as your reflection on the observation. So every time they do an observation, they're reflecting and then write that in the box. So the reflection can be as simple as um, add this resource to the role play area. You know, if you want the, if you, if a child's, um, 
trying to think. I can't think of examples off the top of my head. If a child loves playing in the role play area and you're always observing this play, but your tracking has shown you that that child needs a little bit more support with maths, mm. then in their next step for that observation, you might put add a till to the role play area, add this resource to the role play area, um, and use it as a reflective tool of what you're going to do next rather than what the child's doing next. Because, yeah, because like you say, it it can be something as simple as adding an extra resource. It does. It doesn't have to be reams and reams of things that you have to write. You know, and like you said, it doesn't just have to be a statement from the de- uh, development matters. It it can just be enhancing a particular area, can't it? Yeah, and just constantly, like it's it's that we talk about this most weeks about <laughs> that terminology. So it's mm. about changing that terminology. Maybe next step isn't really the best terminology um maybe like you know if you saw it as the reflective step your reflections that's not very that wasn't very succinct but if you thought of a better (laughs) word than that but I thought beforehand I might have come up with something um but maybe just changing your mindset with the terminology about what you're actually doing so that you know that it's a reflection rather than a tick box yeah, because if you changed it, you know, from some from next steps to something else, it would immediately, I think, change the way you think about it. So then, therefore, it would change the way you act on it, wouldn't it? And it would just change the process slightly, I think. Yeah, because we've been so conditioned to think that a next step is a statement from Development Matters. Yeah. So sometimes I think changing terminology to put people in the right direction is the best way forward um and just you know i keep saying this but just reminding people which what they do in their day that is reflective so that they can see that reflection themselves so many times i've worked in places where we're told to do something and it's not explained why we're doing it and that's the same as that example with the tracking with one of the girls handing me some tracking and saying yes for the tracking And it's like, yeah, but I don't just ask you to print out the tracking just to hand it to me. Like, there's a reason you do it. And I think that sometimes that, depending on the setting that you work in, that isn't explained to practitioners. No, because I've worked in places before where I've just been told, this is what you do. And you just do it. You know, sometimes there's not always been space to sort of, to question and you know to learn because you're only asking and reflecting aren't you because you want to learn on it it's not it's not a reflect a judgment you know on on other people you know I've had that quite a lot before where you've just been asked to do it and you just do it and that's it and it's like oh okay yeah and this even goes back to observations like I remember when I first started out that it was just a thing that you had to do one observation a week with the next step Mm -hmm. and never really explained that the reason you're doing the observation is to extend the learning not you're just writing an observation because you have to do one a week and when you do things like oh you have to do one a week you have to do two a week it it becomes a sort of a routine doesn't it and you're not necessarily getting the best observations with the best next steps you're just doing it because you've been told you have to get so many observations a week you don't get the quality then do you no and then that goes back to what you were saying about how then that undervalues what reflecting and being a reflective Mm. practitioner is because what you're doing is you're saying all I want you to do is one or two observations a week and you're not really letting that person understand the point of doing that thing 
And that really infuriates me in the early years because I feel like quite strongly that a lot of people are told to go into childcare because they haven't really got the skills to do anything else. Go into childcare, go and look after children. And I don't think that um, they really understand the importance of our role and actually the skills required to be an early years practitioner. Being reflective is quite a, uh, you know, it's a it's a skill that you need to learn and master over time, and not everybody can do that. And it's not it's not anything. I don't think when I trained, you know, it was it wouldn't have been anything we would have covered then. You know, everything a lot that I do now, and I, you're probably the same, is things that I've taught myself. You know, gone out and researched things myself. You know, over the years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was just going to say as well, I know in a minute we'll move on to recommendations, but I just wanted to squeeze my one in early, if that's all right. That's fine. Because my I've been reading a book, of course, you know me, um, <laughs> and it's called Successful Leadership in the Early Years. And it was weird because when, you, when we discussed about talking about um, being reflective and whatnot, this book is one of those books that helps you be really reflective like as a leader um which I found really useful um with my new job so I just thought I'd recommend that because it's it's got um sort of it's got all your chapters and everything and then at the end of every chapter it's got um sort of tips to reflect and stuff like with little boxes and things that you could um read and it sort of says are you doing this you could do this what are you doing next um so I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was quite good Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. I wish you'd stop recommending books. Why are early years books so expensive? Someone, I actually had a conversation with someone at work today. Um, I said, you know, that we don't, we, I run a book club with someone. Um, and um, she said, oh, how many books do you read? And I said, one a month. And she said, wow, is there actually that many early years books out there? And I was like, yes, there is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think there are a lot of early years books, actually, aren't there, when you think about it, for such a niche market. Mm. Um, And then just going back to the reflection, Mm. I was just thinking then, sorry, I was listening to you, yes, but I was thinking as well. Um, That as well, sometimes I think what's really important about being a reflective practitioner is being able to let go of some of your ideas and values for the greater good of the setting. So... As usual, I've got an example because I'm an <laughs> example queen. Um, we 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 tried to do it in the moment planning. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't quite work for us, so I sort of did my own in the moment planning. It, it was basically in the moment planning, but slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is that when we had less experienced practitioners, we were finding it really difficult to um do they were finding it really difficult to do the in the moment planning because yeah. obviously they are apprentices or level twos and they're mm-hmm. still building those skills that you need to be a reflective practitioner to do next steps in the moment all of that jazz and it became a point where I felt like it just was not working for us because just too many people didn't get it too many core people yeah. um weren't using it correctly so Although I am a huge advocate for play and in the moment um, I had to reflect as a manager on my setting 
and the people in my setting and the you know the staff in my setting and for the greater good of the setting sort of put my values to one side and say well actually this isn't working so why am I pushing something I know it works if you've got the right people and, and I'm all for it but I think sometimes being reflective is about being able to put your values to one side as well as as a manager or if you're a leader in your setting as a leader being able to say actually you know what I know that this is my preferred method but if it doesn't work I need to change that and I think that's a good trait to have isn't it and it's a trait you have to have as a manager because you're in charge of like you say those big decisions especially when it comes to sort of how you're going to plan and lead your team and and I think that that reflects well to everyone else, doesn't it? If you can say, look, we tried it. I'm understanding that at the minute it's not working for us. So we're going to do, you know, X, Y and Z instead. And I think that's a really good thing to be able to do. Yeah. And then including everybody in those decisions. So I always have discussions with everyone I work with and say, does this work for you? Have you found this useful? And if everybody says something's not useful, I'm not going to keep making them do it. Um, but obviously, if it's something that we need to do, we will try and find ways to make it useful. I think far too often you have managers who are either um, very old-fashioned or very stuck in the ways. I went to a setting once um, as part of my training who had outstanding and no word of a lie, they had this most awful planning (laughs) I'd ever seen. It was ridiculous. It was like took up a whole board for one week's planning. And when I asked why they did that they were just really defensive with me because we've got outstanding and we're not changing anything and I you know when you just think to yourself what what like you're not even thinking about the staff in this place because how are they supposed to have meaningful interactions with the children when they've got a whole board of planning to do every week and literally the practitioners were like scrambling around trying to fill it in and it's that thing where when I don't understand places where the managers don't take into consideration the practitioners. Uh, I've been, I worked and took over a setting just like the one you've just said about. And I wanted to do in the moment planning. And, you know, you said it was quite tricky when you tried it because you had people that weren't as experienced. I found it really hard because I had such experienced people that had done things for such a long time. And it had always been, we do this because of this. I mean, we got there in the end, but it was it was it was really tricky because they'd always been told, you know, this is your plan and this is what we're doing. Off you go. So then to change that completely, it was it was amazing once we got it going. But it was it was hard going to start with. It is really, really difficult. But I think just keeping if I had to give somebody a tip for like being reflective, <laughs> I think it's just about having those reflective conversations with everyone in your team um, and that being having those reflective conversations will encourage them to reflect and have those reflective conversations too and I think it's allowing because I know I keep going back to what I where I've worked before but in other settings when you've you've not been allowed to be reflective you know you've not been allowed to be part of those discussions it, it can be quite hard going so like you say it's great to have those discussions with your team isn't it and you know sort of make these decisions together so that it, it works for everyone yeah definitely and you just I think that at first it's difficult but 
obviously once everybody gets on board and gets used to it it becomes a part of the culture of your setting and not such a big deal and the other thing that I was thinking about implementing again it's paperwork I'm so bad for this I'm like I don't like paperwork and then I'm there with all my forms um is you know how Kerry's got that CPD um the one that's just like a list and you write in what CPD you've done even if it's just like reading a blog post I was thinking that would be good um, if we if you made like a reflective one and people just noted down their reflections so that they can see that they're reflective. Oh, I like that. That would be yeah, really good, too. wouldn't it? I mean, I have this idea and then actually making something that's useful is a different story, but we'll see. I will try. <laughs> we'll try and create something together, maybe. Yeah, that would be good. And we could share it with I everyone. Think... Yeah, definitely. I think it would be really useful for like your apprentices. So like, again, it might not be something that you use for everyone. But I think that, you know, because our apprentices at first, they don't have key children um, while they, you know, get into grips with the setting. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they will after a few months, they might have one. But um, so they could be doing something like that so that they're learning about reflection whilst they haven't got as much paperwork to be doing anyway. Yeah, I'm we're... um we're going to be getting a new apprentice soon and between me and the apprentice we're going to have a very small group of um key children that we're going to work with together so that would be something that we could use there as well which would be good yeah I think it's a really I think that would be a good tool or something like that um so yeah that's my thoughts on being a reflective practitioner and (laughs) reflecting on that conversation it was all over the place but there was some points in there that are useful we just get a bit carried away, don't we? We jump. <laughs> yeah, like I, you, I'll start talking about something and then move on to something else before you've had a chance to reply. So I think as a reflection, I need to start giving more breaks in my talking. See, we're always reflecting. Always, always. We are always. <laughs> Everything I do, I'm just top reflective. So have you got any recommendations? Because I sort of jumped in a little bit early with mine today. <laughs> Um, I do. I have one from today. Um, I need to look at it um, because I can't remember what it's called, but it was a podcast. Yeah. Liz Pemberton was a guest on it because you know that I've (laughs) got some weird obsession with Liz. Fangirl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a podcast called But Where Are You From? Um, And... It's a Chinese woman and the podcast itself is talking about being a Chinese woman Mm -hmm. in the UK and obviously the title, but where are you from, gives you a a gist of the idea. Um, But this episode had Liz Pemberton on and obviously she's all things anti-racism in the early years and there was just some real gems in that episode. So um, one of the things that they discuss is she discusses about being an ally to the um, South and Southeast Asian community um, and how sometimes, you know, she has to think about what being an ally means. And I thought that was really interesting to hear it from a black person saying that even they have to, you know, bringing that that word back in, reflect on why they do what they do. And that's something that I'm trying to reflect on with my anti-racist work. Um, I also liked the fact that they spoke about sometimes what we can do is especially if there's like an influential voice 
um, in a certain community is we can sort of put them on a pedestal a bit and think that everything they say and do is right Mm -hmm. um and that we should we shouldn't do that because obviously just because you know somebody's black doesn't mean all black people agree with them therefore that doesn't mean that what they're saying is right for that community as a whole and as a white person I shouldn't then put all my sort of eggs in their basket as they're the fountain of knowledge so I thought that was really interesting really worth a listen to um and I think that as a whole when we look at anti-racist practice in the early years and and everybody um who's like active on instagram probably knows about liz pemberton anyway Mm -hmm. um but i think that it's what i like about liz is she always stretches you to listen and look at more things so not just not just the early years but look at it as a whole um so i found that podcast really interesting because it wasn't just focused on early years as such but it was a bit Oh, okay. I haven't listened to that. I'll have to have a listen. I like a podcast. I like a podcast. <laughs> um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is, obviously, for our book club, mm-hmm. we are reading Greg Bottrell's Can I Go and Play Now? Um, it's obviously been out for a while, and I know that you've already read it, Amy. Yeah. Um, but I started reading it today. And do you know what I love about greg is he's just a storyteller isn't he like mm. it's obviously the book is about play and early years um but the way he writes is just funny and interesting and it's telling a story and i really like that it's really um it's not dry and boring it's not like a textbook no and there's once you get into it a bit more there's it's there's some quite funny little bits in there I, I, it's one of my favorite books um, I read it a while ago, so I'm quite looking forward to being able to read it again. Yeah, I've only read the first chapter, but like, there's so many quotes in there that I just want to take out and like yeah. use. They're just every what I really like about it is every single thing that he says is important. He does not waffle on. I don't know if he does later on. No, but he does <laughs> not waffle. Have you seen as well? I don't know um, if you've seen it, but he does a free um, magazine on his website. I have seen it, yeah. I think it's called Cozy, isn't it? And that that is really, really good. It's 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 just a really nice read and it's got loads of like nice niceness in it. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, what I like as well is with Greg, he just puts the fun back into things and the play back into things. Cause I can be a very serious practitioner in a way where I'm like, I've set up this environment with everything that the children need and I'll scaffold their learning, but I sometimes do forget to just play laugh have fun mm. make things magical that's what he talks about a lot isn't it the magic the magic of play yeah and he definitely brings that and he did a little storytelling series on instagram which was really really good and i keep saying that cbb should so give him a show but don't you watch it like i watch it and i'm really invested in it like i need to know to know what's happening <laughs> yeah and like smiling and then <laughs> My partner's like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, nothing. Yeah, that's early years for you, isn't it? <laughs> Have you got any other recommendations this week? I haven't, actually. I, it's just my book I've been reading this week. But I, I am off early years topic. I watched, um, is it Bridgerton that you recommended the other week? Yes. 
Oh, wow. Did you fall in love? I did. And now I'm really sad because I've watched them all. <laughs> There's a, it's based on a series of books, actually, that is. I know, but I've heard they're making another series, series two, so I don't want to read the books until I've watched the programme. Yeah, I feel like, and now I've watched the programme first, I can't get invested in the books because they won't be the same. No, exactly. Um, And then I did have another recommendation, and I think I shared, I think you replied to my story when I shared it. She's learning.wild on Instagram. Oh, and yeah. she's American, and she does all these really funny um reels on Instagram where she says... Uh, what is it that's not it's called the that's not developmentally friendly hotline <laughs> and it's it, you have to watch them I can't even explain them you have to watch them but she's so funny and she posted one where it said somebody had posted in a group what should I do with these loose parts and she was like hmm loose parts are loose parts you shouldn't do anything with them let the children decide and she just does it in like a comedy way so Go and check her out. She is really, really funny. They are but, hilarious. But the stuff she's talking about is, is you know, interesting and important. And I love the way she sums it up so quickly in such a short space of time, and it's still funny. Yeah, definitely. I really like her, and I found her recently on Instagram. And she's got a few, like, free guides that you can download, and I downloaded one of those, and that's really good. And you know what? I can't remember what it's about because I forgot that I was going to recommend her until now. So you'll just have to look yourself. Thank you, uh, I feel like this has been a car crash episode. It's been very jumpy, hasn't it? But you know, like we said earlier, there's still some um, there's still some good points in there. I think. Yes, definitely. Um, so if you haven't got any recommendations and I haven't got anything else to recommend, that is a wrap for episode three. So we'll see you soon. See you soon.